Good morning, everyone. It is great to see all of you, and it's great to be worshiping with you. And good morning to everyone who is uh, watching online as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am loving the fall weather. Isn't it great to, to have the fall weather? Wanted to let you know our Wednesday nights have been absolutely awesome. Uh, we have a meal at 5.15. You can sign up for that uh, on the website or through Facebook. But let us know if you would like to join us for a meal on Wednesday at 5.15. But youth and kids, we start at 6 and we are having a great time. We try to do as much as we can outside. Also on Wednesday nights, you can join in person or online. Pastor Sam's Bible study, the best Bible study in the country. Uh, it's amazing. And we have the uh, Men at the Well Bible study that meets, uh, and you can meet, they meet on Zoom right now, and they're amazing, Men at the Well. Uh, we have our Mosaic service on Thursdays at the Back 40. Then we also have our Thursday worship service right here in the sanctuary on Thursdays at 530. Uh, our big news is we have 175th anniversary of this church taking place the last Sunday of this month. Bishop Deborah Wallace Paget will be preaching that Sunday. You can RSVP for this service. We would like for you to do that just so we know how many people will be here and how we can spread everyone out. Uh, but you can fill out um, a card you may have gotten in the mail. You can RSVP that way, or you can RSVP through the website or the church app. And when you do that, uh, you can also, there's a section to write what you love about the church or a special memory you have. Um, we would love for you to share those as well. Um, and for this 175th anniversary celebration, um, just to let everybody know too, that's one combined service. So we're all together that Sunday. There's not going to be a celebration and a traditional service. We're going to be all together. Uh, but you can donate a mum in memory or honor of a loved one for the 175th celebration. Mums are $15 and will be placed throughout the sanctuary for the service. And you can take that home after the service. You can place your order by September 21st at the church office. This morning, you'll notice some beautiful uh, roses on the altar. Um, we had some new babies born into the life of the church. Um, we have Bexton Townsell. Parents are Dallas and Heather. Uh, big brother, Xander. And then we also have a rose on the altar for Lucy Miller Hall. Parents are Philip and Casey, big brothers Wes, Shep, and Banks. So it's always a great celebration. We have new babies born into the life of the church. We also have beautiful roses here and an American flag, uh, a beautiful American flag that you see there. And these are to remember and to honor those who lost their lives on 9-11 and also to remember and honor those who served on 9-11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Loving God, we are so thankful that we can worship together this morning. We pray right now that you'll calm our hearts and our minds and help us focus on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
us this morning as we sing together in 577, God of Grace and God of Glory. remain standing and join us in the affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Thank you. Please be seated. And at this time, uh, Miss Molly and Miss Barbara, I think you're going to take our children to Children's Church. So if you want to go and have some fun with them, that'll be great. There we go. I want to join Pastor Andy in welcoming you and saying how happy I am to see you here and how glad I am you're worshiping with us online. And also, I just want to emphasize our 175th anniversary and I hope that you are excited about it. We're going to have one service at 10 o'clock, just a reminder on that because it's kind of different. Uh, but we're going to celebrate 175 years of mission and ministry and worship here in the heart of the city. It's, it's going to be fantastic. Um, I want to thank you for uh, your part in that 175. We all have our part of a link in the chain. I want to thank you for you being you and serving in the way that you do. I want to thank you for helping um, give your service, your volunteer hours. I want to thank you for giving your support, your financial support for the ministry and missions of the church. I want to thank you for uh, agreeing to, to help so many times when you're called on. And I, I just, uh, we, we couldn't be who we are without your help, and I want to thank you for that. Continue to help by giving online, by giving here in person. Give us your prayer requests because we do pray for you. When you give us a prayer request, we do uh, give it to our prayer team. We pray for you. Give us your celebrations and your answers to prayers. We'd love to celebrate with you. And I want to ask you even now if you will join with me, uh, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, for this beautiful day and for all the blessings of life, we give you thanks and praise. For your great church, Lord, who is about to celebrate 175 years on this corner, Lord, but which goes all the way back to the day of Pentecost. For your church, for all who follow you around the world, we give you praise. And we pray, Lord, that as we worship together today, as we worship here in, in this beautiful sanctuary, as people join us from all over the place who are worshiping online today, we pray that you would help us to feel that connection, that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, and that we are looking outside of ourselves into something that is all-knowing and all-powerful and sovereign and to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to God who created us in his own image. Everything else, Lord, we want to lay aside today. We want to ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we have failed you and failed to live up to your great plan and purpose for our lives. We ask for you to forgive us, Lord, for the good that we didn't do and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to lay down the worry that we have and the anxiety and the burdens that we carry. May we lay them down and trust you with a simple childlike trust. Now teach us to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Thank you so much. Wasn't that beautiful? How, how, how beautiful and how poignant and how much in line with what we are going to talk about today about Paul's instructions to the church in Ephesus about being united, working toward being united. Will you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7? The words, I think, will be up on the screen for you, and um, you could just listen, just follow along. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Verse 3, Paul says, work, be diligent to preserve the unity, to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So in in, in the spirit of unity, I want to ask you to do something for me this morning. How many of you uh, watched at least one football game yesterday? It's okay if you watched more, you know. All right. So, and, and, and you, you worshiping online, I, I want you to participate in this too. Um, so when I count to three, I want you to give the war cry for your team, whether it's War Eagle or Roll Tide or Go Bulldogs or Woo Pig Suey or whatever it is, or Go Blue for my wife back there, Go, go Blue. And so I want everybody to say it out loud with gusto, all right? You're, you're not in a football stadium, but say it with some passion. In the spirit of unity, one, two, three. Where is the unity? Why can't everybody just be like me? Why can't everybody be reasonable and just all of us say war eagle? I don't understand. Yeah. All right. Well, we laugh about this, but it just kind of illustrates how hard it is to have unity. Football is a perfect example to illustrate the truth that unity is not all that easy, is it? And if it's not easy for something like even like sports teams, then why do we even bother with all of the bigger, more important things like God and like faith? I think the the answer to that question is pretty clear that we work toward that. We know that we're not there. Okay, far from it. But we work toward it. Because it's so important that we're told over and over again, Paul says, be diligent. In other words, work at it because he knows it's work. Work at the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Endeavor, be eager, strive earnestly for the spirit of unity. 
we might be cynical enough to wonder if God really does expect that. Okay, I remember a, a friend of mine who has two grown daughters now, but when they were teenagers, we were laughing about one day. Uh, at, at lunch, at Sunday lunch, his teenage daughters uh, asked him, Daddy, did you really mean that or were you just preaching? So, uh, so yeah, I really mean that. I'm not, it wasn't my kids. Um, but yeah, does Paul really mean that or was he just preaching? Um, Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher from years gone by, said these words. He said, to remain divided is sinful. Did our Lord not pray that we may be one, even uh, that we may that they may be one, even as we are one? Talking about Himself and the Father. So Paul preached it, and Jesus prayed it. But I want you to know it is possible. The early church actually lived it. Just just looking at a passage from Acts chapter two, the the end of Acts chapter two, right after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and and 3,000 people came to be baptized and came to the Lord. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And it goes on to say that if somebody had need of something and somebody needed to sell something, they would do it. They would just distribute to people that had need. Day by day, they spent as much time together in the temple and broke bread at home and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. They actually lived what Paul was talking about. They were together. So... If, if Jesus prayed for it, and if Paul preached about it, if the early church lived it, shouldn't we at least work for it? Shouldn't we at least labor for it? Because we're talking about labor all month long. We're talking about last week, we talked about Labor Day. I hope you had a wonderful Labor Day. I hope you got to eat some chicken stew. Um, Y'all don't do that as much in this part of the state as we do in North Alabama. Uh, hope you got to eat some barbecue. How about that? We, we do barbecue. Um, but we talked about how Labor Day is so important because we serve a laboring, creating God who, who came and, and the word made flesh. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while I still have time and we're created in his image and we follow after our Lord. And so we have to work too. We, are, we have something to do. We're, we're meant to do something. We're meant to labor. And one of the things for which we labor is really kind of hard. It's unity to work to preserve the unity of the body of Christ. Now, I want to say a couple of things about the unity for which we work. One is that it begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Uh, it, because unity without truth is, well, I don't know, it's just dangerous. And Jesus, who is the truth, 
uh, is something that Paul is reminding these people of. He said, I, in verse 1 of the scripture that I just read, he said, I'm the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling the Ephesians this to remind them of his credentials. I'm not just telling you, I'm not telling you to stand up for uh, for Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm writing you this from prison because that's what I did from a Roman prison cell uh, for refusing to compromise on his stand. Unity without truth is dangerous. Charles Spurgeon, whom I quoted earlier, uh, said in the same sermon on unity that even though there is a chorus of voices that call us for unity, that we can't have unity without truth because unity without truth is dangerous we we uh, as a nation bowed our heads and mourned yesterday I, I hope that you were at least able to to see some of the um, some of the memory and and some of the memorials and some of the remembrances of 9-11 yesterday I saw several of them I myself remembered, I'm sure you did too. I remembered where I was 20 years ago. I always think about that on 9-11. And some of you have told me stories about, about where you were and what you were doing and how you'll always remember that. What we can remember about that is unity for the wrong cause can be so dangerous. Unity for hatred's sake can be so dangerous. Um, but Jesus, uh, Jesus said, I pray that they may be one, even as I am the father of one. But he went on to say after that, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So being united behind truth is, is, is the key. Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, this is how important the truth is to me. I'm in jail because of it. I'm in prison because of it. Uh, and so now that I have your attention, I want to say something to you, Paul says. I want you to walk worthy of the calling to which you're called. I want you to, I want you to behave appropriately according to your calling. You're supposed to be following Jesus. I want you to actually act like a citizen of heaven is what Paul is saying here. So if we are doing that, and that's a big if then we, we have to be united and we have to be united behind following Jesus, not following after the opposite way. Um, during World War II, when Hitler came to power, Hitler commanded that all of the church be, all of the churches in Germany be united. And, you know, that sounds great, except that he wanted them all to be united because he wanted to control them all. And there were among the German United Brethren churches about half of them that, that went along with uh, Hitler's command and about half of them who didn't. And the ones who didn't faced harsh punishment and persecution. As a matter of fact, in almost every family of those who refused to comply with Hitler's order, someone died in a concentration camp. Unity, yes, but unity that starts and ends with Jesus, unity that goes the way that Jesus goes. And if someone calls you to unify behind something that doesn't look like Jesus, beware. Beware. Even if they quote the Bible to you, beware. 
The second thing I want to say to you about the unity for which we labor is that it doesn't require us to see eye to eye for every, uh, on everything. We don't all have to say roll tide or war eagle or go blue. We don't have to agree on every little thing in order to have unity. And how I know that is Paul reminds the people in Ephesus that when they're talking about their behavior and the walk that they're walking, he calls them for this. He calls them for humility, gentleness, patience, to bear with one another, and to show agape love. So what does all that have to do with us not being required to see eye to eye on everything? Well, it's just this. This kind of behavior humble behavior, gentle behavior, forbearing behavior, agape love behavior is not the kind of thing that we have to work at if we see eye to eye on everything. You don't need forbearance when you're sitting in the section where everybody at the football game is a fan of the team that you're rooting for. You don't need patience and you don't need gentleness if you're sitting with everybody is all cheering for the same team. When you're the lone Braves fan sitting in, uh, in, in Yankee Stadium, that's when you need gentleness and forbearance and agape love, right? You know, um, you see what I mean? Forbearance. It means to bear with somebody, to endure with somebody. Every one of us has somebody that we just don't see eye to eye with. And we have to decide, am I going to endure with patience? Am I going to bear with this person? Am I going to love this person with agape love? Because everything is just not essential. John Wesley's quote on unity is this. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, tolerance. In everything, charity or love. So I love that quote. I, I, think it's, I think it's very, very important for us today in the 21st century to, to hear that in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials tolerance and all things charity. The problem we have with unity is when we go from one extreme to the other, we either think that everything is essential and that everybody has to see everything my way or it's, or it's like death to the infidels. Or we think that nothing is essential, that everybody just does their own thing. Who's to say what's right and wrong? Who's to say what is the truth anyway? The early church didn't see eye to eye on everything. I told you that on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord. And that was the world's biggest Honda. Okay, are y'all out there this morning? I just want to make sure you're still awake. They were all in one accord but that doesn't mean they saw eye to eye on everything. It was a very diverse group that was in the upper room. The disciples themselves didn't see eye to eye on everything. But they were all in one accord when it came right down to it. I want you to think about the church that Paul was writing to in Ephesus. This was a, a church that was made up of, of Jews who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. People like Paul and then you had Gentiles who had become believers in Christ. And then this group of, of Jews who were followers of Jesus had grown up hearing nothing but how that the Gentiles were, were unclean and you couldn't hang around with them. But here they were together. And then 
you also had some that said, well, these Gentiles need to be circumcised and become Jewish proselytes before they can follow Jesus. And so they had religious barriers. They had cultural barriers. They had racial barriers and social barriers. You had men and women worshiping together in the same worship service. You had, you had slaves and masters sitting in the same congregation. You had people who had grown up as Pharisees in the same worship service with people who had grown up as pagan worshipers. So how in the world could they have unity? How in the world could they do anything together? Well, it took a lot of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and agape love. Not everything was essential, but some things were. So what are the essentials for unity then? If, if John Wesley says essentials, unity in the essentials, and we know that not everything is essential, but some things are, what are the essentials? Paul tells us seven things, and I'm not going to dwell on all seven of these things, um, but I want to touch on them because these are the seven things for which Paul says we are essential and we work together in unity. We are one body. In other words, we are one church. And I know, I know we are in the Bible Belt. And I know you can't swing a stick without hitting a church around here. I'm not talking about one denomination. I'm not talking about how everybody uh, agrees and, and we're all just big, uh, one big happy family. I'm talking about all who follow Jesus all around the world. I'm talking about the Apostles' Creed that we said just a few minutes ago that Pastor Andy let us in where we said that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic with a small c, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the church universal, all who follow Jesus. We're all one church. We're all one body. We have to have gentleness and we have to have patience and forbearance with with one another but at the end of the day there's not going to be any name tags when we leave this world right if we go that way they'll blow off we'll go that way they burn off right no name tags all right one spirit one spirit and we're talking about the the spirit the same wind the same breath the same spirit that was at creation that came into the nostrils of of the the first human beings that that came like a rushing mighty wind on the day of Pentecost, the same spirit that we have to have if we have any hope of doing anything in unity. The same hope of our calling, the same hope of our calling, not hope as in I hope my football team wins or I hope it rains, but that beautiful word hope that in the Bible means the desire for good with the expectation of obtaining it. We desire to go to heaven and we have the expectation that we will. That's the hope of our calling. It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One Lord who is Jesus Christ, the essential of all essentials. Because if we look to anything else but Jesus and if we look like anything else but Jesus, then we might as well call it quits and just be a civic organization. One faith and here we're talking about the doctrine of faith, the justification by grace through faith. The only way that we have hope, any of us, in making it is by faith 
through grace. One baptism, and here you might say, aha, preacher, but you're Methodist. Y'all baptize in three different ways. I'm not talking about the mode of baptism. I'm talking about what baptism means, the result of baptism, about being baptized into our Lord Jesus Christ, not being baptized in John the Baptist's baptism or somebody else's baptism, but one spirit baptism into Jesus Christ. And then finally, Paul says, one God who's father of all and who is above all and who is through all and who is in y'all. He doesn't say y'all, but I think he should have. Jesus Christ has got to be our tuning fork if we're going to have unity. You know what a tuning fork is? It's the old fashioned. Y'all know what tuning forks are, don't you? The old fashioned thing that you strike against your hand or your leg and you hear a note and you tune your instrument toward that tuning fork. Okay, if you picture a room with a hundred pianos, Rhonda would like that room. Picture, picture a room with a hundred pianos. And you've got one tuning fork. And let's say you tuned all 100 pianos to that one tuning fork. If you did that, all 100 pianos would be tuned to each other too, right? But not because you're tuning each piano to the next piano, but you're tuning them all to the same tuning fork. If, if Jesus... We could have a hundred worshipers together who, who come from all different kinds of backgrounds and have all different kinds of... Uh, of opinions on things but if Jesus is uh, the one tuning fork that we tune our lives to if we all could agree on that then not only would we be closer to Christ we'd be closer to each other that is the kind of unity that is healing yesterday as I, I watched the different memorial services in, in every all, all of these different um, remembrances of 9-11 I, I, I was reminded of, of the power of, of hatred to cause destruction but I also couldn't help to think about the power of unity and the power of love that that was overwhelming in our nation after 9-11 that after 9-11, we were, we were all together in a way that maybe we haven't been at other times. And it wasn't about a political party, and it wasn't about, oh, I'm a New Yorker and you're an Alabamian. It wasn't about, I'm a Baptist and you're a Methodist and you're a Jew. And it was about neighbor helping neighbor. It was about people sacrificing and people honoring the sacrifices that our responders made and that people made. It's, there's a healing in that kind of unity. I mentioned World War II earlier and, and the, the division and the danger of, of following after unity if it doesn't involve the truth. And, but after World War II, the German Brethren Church got together you know what? They got together and they confessed to each other the bitterness that they had had, the hard feelings that they had had, and they forgave one another. And after that, history tells us that a great revival broke out 
in the United Brethren Church. This kind of unity works in large ways and it works in small ways. Let me give you an example of, of just something little that I saw one time when I was waiting on my car in a, in a tire shop. And uh, I was talking to this person next to me, uh, this woman next to me. And once she found out I was a preacher, you have all kinds of different reactions when people find out that you're a preacher or a preacher's wife. Um, they, they either want to tell you every Bible verse they ever memorized or ask you where uh, Cain found his wife or something, something like that. But this woman found out I was a preacher and she says, um, I got to tell you, I got to tell you this story because it's just so, so cool. She said that not long ago she was in a, in a mechanic shop having something done to her car that was just, just kind of simple. But she said in this, this was a middle-aged, well-dressed lady. But she said in this shop with her was a group of three or four teenagers. And these teenagers had multiple piercings and tattoos and funny-looking clothes and everything. Funny-looking to her. And she said it just happened to be on a Wednesday. And one of them, uh, one of the teenagers looked at each other and then looked at their watch and said, Well, I guess I'm going to be late for church tonight. And that kind of surprised her. And she said, well, me too. I guess I'm going to be late for church tonight too. And they were talking about it. They went to different churches, right? And then the guy came out who was the owner of the, the mechanic shop. And he explained to the young man that the repair on his car was going to cost more than he expected. Surprise, surprise, right? Um, but she said that he immediately, the young man immediately pulled out his cell phone and started calling his friends and, and trying to find how he could borrow enough money to, uh, to pay this, to get his car fixed until he got paid Friday. He was trying to, to round up enough money to pay for his repair. In the meantime, the guy called her up there, the, this middle-aged lady that was telling me this, called her up there and he said, ma'am, uh, it'll be $20 for you today. And she said, okay, thank you. And she rumbled around in her wallet. She had $18. And she didn't have a debit card. She didn't have a credit. All she had was this $18. And she said, okay, well, I guess I'll have to write you a check. I'm sorry, ma'am. We don't take checks. So she's digging in the bottom of her purse where um, I, everything is, in the bottom of somebody's big purse. So she's digging to try to find change and everything to come up with that last $2. And she hears somebody behind her. And this strange-looking teenager comes up and puts $2 on the counter and says, Ma'am, let me pay that last $2 for you. You were so nice to me. Let me just pay that last $2 for you. And he smiled at her. And she said, Thank you so much. You know, I'm just going to pray that God will just take that two dollars and bless it a hundred times over and watching all of this is the guy who owns the mechanic shop right and he says well I don't know about a hundred times over but I tell you what I I just love what you're doing for each other and so young man I'm not going to charge you for the labor on your car today. I'm just going to charge you for parts so here you have three different people from three different backgrounds that went to three different churches from three different denominations and three different walks of life who for just a moment 
came together. Just a moment came together in a way that transcended all of the differences and everybody received a blessing from it. That's just a small example, but it's powerful because unity is powerful, but it's fragile. But it's powerful, but it's fragile. I want to leave you with one last quote about the unity for which we work and labor, about how it's powerful and how it's fragile. And it's this, snowflakes are one of nature's most fragile things, but just look what they can do when they stick together. I want to uh, ask you to, to sing a closing hymn with me. Uh, it is number 557 if you're looking in the hymnal. It is going to be up on the screen for you if you don't have a hymnal handy. And it is a sweet and simple reminder that no matter what divides us, we all do have a tie that binds us. Will you stand together? Now hear this benediction from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.